Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. He's been too good to us not to always be in a posture of praise. He's been too good to us to not always be wanting to lean in and praise him for some things that he's done for us, in us, with us, and through us. If you don't know me, welcome to New Vision. I'm Alex Howe. I serve as the family pastor here at New Vision. It's been four years. This, this year is four years in July. This year is four years in July. Um, I've had the opportunity to... One second. There we go. I've had the opportunity to, to serve with Pastor Kevin and Melissa the last four years since they came. I came probably a week after them. So, But today we're going to pick up right where Pastor Kevin left off last week. He started us off in this series called Shame Off You. Did you guys enjoy last week's message? The shame game. Pastor brought the word. It was really, really good. Um, this week I'm excited to bring you week two of this series. And the title of it, I'm going to give it to you right now, it's called The Attack of Shame. It's called the attack of shame. Last week, Pastor Kevin walked through how um, it all started in the garden. It all started in the garden with Adam and Eve. Shame started there. When, we, when, when God created Adam and Eve, there wasn't shame. There wasn't shame until someone entered the picture. Until the devil entered the picture, that's when they felt shame. That's when they saw that they had no clothes on. That's when, um, that's when all these things started to happen, the fall. And this week, I want to pick up, and I want you to, uh, to go with me to 2002. I was in third grade. I don't know how old anybody else was. I was in third grade. Here we go. I was, I was in my fourth career by then. That's what I get every time I tell them. I was in third grade. I'm living in Kansas City. I have a cousin. He lives in Chicago. His name's Ryan. We take a vacation. So we go up there for vacation, and uh, we're staying there for about a week. Um, you know, at the peak of 2002, if you don't know, like, it came back around now, but in 2002, Pokemon was that deal. Like, you, you got them joints out. I had the whole binder, Cam. Like, I had, the, I had the binder, dog. I had the binder. I had the holographic joints in the front. Like, you couldn't tell me anything. So I go up there. I take my binder up there to Chicago with my cousin. And uh, he's got a, see, I'm, I think I'm cold. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, my, my, my Pokemon collection is tough. Like, nobody can mess with me. So I go up there, and uh, he's a couple years older than me. He's like two, three years older than me. And uh, so he's in like fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. And, you know, we go up to his room, and we're chilling. We haven't seen each other in a minute. And uh, I was like, yeah, bro, I brought my Pokemon cards, cuz. He was like, oh, word? That's cute. I remember him saying that. I was like, all right, bet, okay. Like, what you, what you got in there that you think you, your cards are better than mine? So, man, my cousin pulls out, like, my, my binder was about this thick. It was about that thick. Man, my cousin pulled out a binder about that thick. He puts it on his bed, and I'm just like, I'm in shock, dog. Like, I'm in third, this is third grade Alex. I'm just like, I had a gap. I had, te- I had uh, the, this gap in my teeth. I had some little, I should have showed y'all a picture. That's what I should have did. But I'm just, I'm mesmerized. I'm like, man, where'd you get all these cards, man? Like, this is crazy. He opens it up, first page. Some of y'all will know this, some of y'all won't, but it's fine. It's going to be a good illustration. So he opens up, the first card he has in his collection is this holographic Charizard card. Dog, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something after I'm done with this story. I wish I would have kept this card. But So anyways, the whole week, I'm trying to get my cuz. I'm like, cuz, please trade me this card, bro. Like, you can have like 10 of my cards. Just let me get this one. Every time he says, nope, nope, nope. 
That's my best card. Nope, I'm not trading it. I'm not trading it. not trading it. I mean, it's the first card when you open up his binder. It's right there. It's glistening. It's, it's pretty. It's perfect. And I'm just like, all right. Like, so the last day, I'm like, all right, cuz, let me get this card. He's like, I'm not giving you that card, Alex. I'm like, all right, bet. So we leave. It's cool. A couple days later, I'm at my house chilling. My auntie calling my, uh, my aunt Tina calling my mom's. Hey, uh, has Alex, uh, has Alex seen uh, Ryan's card? Like, what card? Like, he, he said one of his cards is missing. He said Alex was talking about this card all week. And he just, he wasn't sure if he saw it or, Alex, you seen the card? My mom, Alex, you seen this card? No. My mom walks back. We lived in a townhouse, so, like, the living room was right there. The kitchen was right here. So my mom's walking back. This is a cordless phone. So, yeah, see, I grew up, see, give me some, I had a cordless phone in my house, all right? I had, a, I had a, a house phone, like, she's walking back, not a cordless phone, a corded phone, like a landline. So she's walking back to the kitchen. She says, she sees me at the corner of my eye, run upstairs, boop, fly upstairs. She said, I asked her, I was like, just give me a recall of this situation, because I remember when I got my butt whooped, but I don't remember the beginning part, so just... So she told me, she said, uh, she said, yeah, you ran upstairs, and you, then I, I saw you, so I snuck up behind you. And she said, I saw you open up your binder, and you took that card out, and you hid it behind another card. And then it was at that moment that I proceeded to go get my belt. So, so my mom goes and gets her belt. She whoops me. I steal my cousin's card. I stole my cousin's card. My mom gives me a whooping. And uh, she, gives me, she gives me a whooping, crying. She, I'm crying. She makes me go get a, a, a blank piece of paper, write an apology to my cousin, put it in an actual envelope, address the letter, and mail it to him. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I didn't know what to do, and I just, I wanted the card. And so I'm crying. There's tears on it. I'm like, all right, this is wild. So we mail it back. I, I really did feel better after I mailed it back, and I gave him the card. But for real, for real, if y'all look up how much that car is worth now, I wish I would have kept it. But so look, 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 look. So in this story, in my little third grade self, I experienced just a touch of shame. I experienced a touch of shame. This is, that was a fun story, but I think a lot of us experienced shame. Um, what had happened is I sinned. I sinned, right? I stole the car from my cousin. After that, I experienced guilt when my cousin, or excuse me, when my auntie called. My auntie's like, has Alex seen... Nope. Guilty, going up there, trying to hide the cart. In that moment of guilt when I'm getting whooped and I'm writing the letter crying and apologizing to my big cousin, a, a touch of shame in my little third grade self hit me. Now, once I wrote the letter and I repented and I told him sorry and, and all that, I felt better. But I think what happens is a lot of us get attacked by shame, and we allow it to sit there, and we don't address it. And we become under an attack of shame. And I think that we're going to look at a scripture here in a second. Um, as we look at the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of context. This is Moses. Uh, most people, even if you don't know the, Lord, uh, know the Lord or you don't go to church, at some point, you probably heard the name Moses. You've heard the name Moses. You've heard Adam and Eve. You've probably heard uh, Jesus. You've, you've heard, these, you've heard these, these figures in the Bible. What's interesting is how 
God uses people that have been under so much attack and have sinned, and he uses them to do amazing things. So if you would, if you could open your Bibles and go to Exodus, meet me in Egypt. Meet me in Egypt. Um, Exodus 2, 11 through 15. We're going to read a couple of verses. And uh, before I read it, I want to remind you of what Pastor Kevin said last week, what the definition of shame is. And the definition of shame, I'm going to read it because I don't want to get it incorrect. The definition of shame is an, all, excuse me, is an overwhelming condition in a feeling that we've let down ourselves, each other, and God. When we feel that shame, that's when we feel like we've let down God, when we've let down others, when we feel like we've let down ourselves, that's when we can know shame is kind of creeping into the picture. So meet me in Exodus. Let's go to Exodus uh, 2.11. It'll pop up on the screen if you don't have, your, um, if you don't have your, uh, your phone. It says this, many years later, Moses had grown up. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. Right before this, pause right there, right before this, Moses, he grew up as an Egyptian. He did not know he was a Hebrew, and he finds out he's a Hebrew, and this is one of the first things that happens after he finds out. He finds out he's a Hebrew, so he goes out just another day, and he sees this. Go, let's, let's pick up in verse, uh, verse 12, or excuse me, latter part of verse 11. And he saw how hard they were working to, uh, uh, forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. What does he experience right here? He experiences a little bit of guilt. He feels guilt a little bit right here. Verse 12, after looking in all directions, he knows what he's about to do <laughs> is wrong. I think a lot of us have done that before where we know we're about to sin, we're about to do something crazy, and we're just making sure my phone on, okay, did I accidentally call somebody? Nope. Bet. All right. We've all done this before. Um, verse 12, after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Verse 13, verse 13, the next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. So he just killed a dude and hid it, tried to hide the body in the sand. And he goes out the next day. He sees two Hebrew men fighting. Um, uh, why are you beating your friend, Moses, Moses said to, the, to one of the, the one that started the fight. <laughs> right here, verse 14. When you try to hide your sin, but you get called out. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Man, he felt played right here. He, he didn't know what to do. He, he, he was, when you get caught in your sin, and you just running through all these quick little lies you can tell, like, uh, how can I, uh, your index in your mind is spinning, like, oh, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? What can I say? That's what's happening right here. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. He gets caught, and then he's afraid, right? His sin gets found out, and then he's afraid. Now then, watch what happens. He's afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Let me pray again for us. Lord, thank you for today. I pray your presence would be here, God. Use me to communicate your word clearly. I pray that open hearts would be in this room. I pray that you would soften hard hearts, God. And I pray that your word would go forth and it would be applicable to people in this room. God, we love you. We magnify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. So in this scripture, we see three things. And I wrote them down because I didn't want to forget them. In verse 12, like I told you, verse 12, he looks in all directions. He kills the Hebrew, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the Egyptian because he's beating the Hebrew. He experiences guilt. He experiences guilt. We all experience this. I want you to understand we experience the sin, the guilt, and then the shame. And then if we're, if we're aware and we've reached out to God, we've repented, right? Okay, so he experiences guilt in verse 12 when he looks in all directions and he, and he um, kills the Egyptian and he tries to hide the body. Then in verse 14, when the Hebrew calls him out, he experiences shame. He experiences shame. And then in verse 15, he runs away. When he experiences that shame, he is so under attack and overwhelmed with that shame that his response is to flee, is to run. A lot of times, shame will make you run in the opposite direction. Because of what the devil's trying to do in you, he doesn't want you to go to God. He wants you to go away. And so he can get you to really sit in those thoughts, to really sit in that shame. There's a lot of damage that can be done if we're fleeing and running the opposite direction. But what I don't want to happen is this. I don't want us to get to the point that Moses did. See, when Moses killed this Hebrew, excuse me, this Egyptian, when he killed this Egyptian, he was about 40 years old. So for 40 years, he, he runs off. He goes to Midian. He marries a, a girl named Sephora, uh, Sephora, excuse me, father-in-law is Jethro for 40 years. They're hanging out. They're chilling. Then they come to the burning bush, right? So he's chilling. One day he's walking. He sees this burning bush. He goes up to the burning bush. One thing, remember Pastor Kevin said this last week, guilt is the activity. Shame is what the devil uses as you claiming your identity. He wants shame to be your identity. When guilt's the activity, shame's the identity. And so 40 years later, Moses has been under attack for 40 years and doesn't even realize it. I think a lot of us in this room are under attack from the devil, and we don't even see it or realize it. We don't see it. We don't realize it. If I was to ask you a question, if we were to meet one-on-one, the first question I would ask you is, what you been reading? What you been reading? Just to, I just want a conversation starter. What you been reading? Well, I ain't really uh, the seed, my, my job, and, well, my kids, and I got three kids and a job. I'm not looking down. I'm just, just being real. Can I be real with you guys? Um, and so I would ask you what you've been reading, what you've what you been, you been reading. And if your response is, well, uh, 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 then you proceed to tell me how your life is chaotic. Well, let's just go back to the root. You've been disconnected from the Lord. You've been running and fleeing from the Lord. And that can be for a lot of reasons. But today I want to focus on the reason being a lot of times it's shame. A lot of times shame has kept us from sitting at the table with Jesus consistently. A lot of times shame has kept us from truly thinking God can use us. We think that God is looking at us like, man, we're a waste. We're we're, we're nothing. How can God use me? Moses has been carrying this type of shame for 40 years. You don't believe me? Just watch. That, that wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. So you can break down Moses' life in three stages, right? So he's in Egypt for about 40 years. Then he runs off and he's in Midian for about 40 years. And then he goes into the wilderness for about 40 years, right? So, so this, is, this is his life, right? 40, 40 years. Boom, boom, boom. When we get to the burning bush experience, there's four things that Moses is questioning in his life. 
He's questioning these things all rooted from something that happened to him years and years and years ago. When shame goes unchecked, when shame goes unchecked, it won't allow you to walk in your purpose. I'm going to say it again. When shame goes unchecked, it won't allow you to walk in your purpose. And so this is the things that Moses had questioned. Moses questioned four things. He questioned his identity. He questioned God's authority. He questioned his ability. And he questioned God's proximity. Four things that he questioned, all rooted from shame that happened to him 40 years prior. A lot of us are sitting in this room. God has been asking us. We've had a burning bush experience. We've had, we've had, a, we've had a, a burning bush experience. We've had a moment where God has asked us to do something. But because we haven't dealt with our shame, we end up questioning these four things in our lives. How could God use me if this occurred? If I killed this Egyptian, how could God use me? I'm nothing. I am what I did. The devil wants you to believe that whatever sin you committed, whatever had happened, has happened to you, that you are that thing. Identity crisis. Crisis. Identity crisis. That's the number one thing shame will do. It'll cause you to have an identity crisis. Exodus 3.11 Exodus 3.11, and I'm going to give you the short little piece of the verse because I want to read you the whole thing. Who am I? That's, that's what Moses is asking. Who am I? He doesn't even know himself. He's like, who am I? Like, what, who am I to go and do what you're asking? Identity crisis. Crisis. L- listen, we've all been, we've all had that moment where we know or we feel that God's asked us to step into something, to do something. And we're like, God, there's no way you could use me because I did this. There's no way I could go all the way there and talk to them and free millions of your people and come back. There's no way. Do you know who I am? Actually, he does. That's, the, that's what's so hilarious. He actually knows who you are. He created you. He put those characteristics in you for a reason. Can I give you a secret? He knew you were going to commit that sin. Hmm. He knew that was going to happen, but he still chose to use you. He knew Moses was going to kill that Egyptian. But before he was born, he had marked him. Before he was born, he had put a mark on him and said, you're going to be the one that gets my people out of Egypt. Before all of you were born, God marked you. He marked you. The thing that you've been sitting in, that attack that you've been under, that shame, don't allow it to keep you from what God has for you. And this is what I really want you to, to look at. Go, go to the, if you go to the next thing that he questioned, he questioned his uh, the authority. See, in verse uh, Exodus 4.1, what if they don't listen or believe me? That's authority. He made a mistake. Let's not make this same mistake. He thought it was in his own authority. It's not in our authority. It's in his through us to execute the, the vision of the plan. It's him through us that things happen. It's not us just going. There is a part where we got to obey, we got to be obedient, we got to take the steps, but the authority comes from God through us. See, Moses went in his own authority, wasn't good news. 
came back with God's authority, and things happen. Question your identity. Gets you to question God's authority. Because what happens is we, what shame will do, it'll make you think that you're supposed to do things on your own. Shame, when you're under this attack of shame, it'll get you to think that it's not supposed to be God that does it. It's supposed to be me that does it because God couldn't use me, so I'll just do it on my own because I experienced this thing, and there's no way that God could, 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 could use me, so I'm just going to go on my own authority, and, and I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to be a, an isolated person. And let me tell you something, isolation will always kill you. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. A lot of you guys are saying, I'm in solitude, but really you're in isolation. Isolation is when you're disconnected from everyone. You're disconnected from everyone. Solitude is when you're saying, I'm choosing to step away to get closer to God. A lot of us are thinking that we have to do it on our own and walk in our, in our authority. And you may do some cool things. You may do some awesome things. Some people have accomplished great things outside of God. But let me tell you that their work isn't blessed. Their work isn't anointed. For you, when you walk in God's authority, when you walk in who God has called you to be, you are blessed, you are anointed, and you're called to something higher. Shame, when you're under the attack, will cause you to question your identity. It'll cause you to question your authority. And the third thing is, it'll cause you to question your own ability. In Exodus 4.10, it says, we see it. Moses says, I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. If you would have met me in 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, you would have been like, there's no way he's going to be a public speaker. There's no way that God can use this dude. I used to struggle in school. I was a BC student just because I didn't apply myself. I didn't want to do it. I didn't think I was smart. All because someone told me when I was in like 7th or 8th grade, they said, man, you're really good at football, but that school side is a struggle. You should just focus on football. And I walked for years. I walked for years in this shame of like, man, I'm not really smart. God called me to be a pastor way before I actually took the step and accepted it. I think a lot of us, God has called us, but we haven't taken the step to accept it because of a personal attack of shame. Moses questions his ability. He questions his ability. He says he's slow of speech, slow of tongue. And do you know what God's response is? Who put the tongue in your mouth? I knew you were slow of speech. I knew you were slow of tongue. That's why I'm going to use you so that my power can be shown through you. So in this room, who put the tongue in your mouth? Who gave you the ability? Who specifically created you and gave you those unique gifts and gave you those quirks? And that stuff that you think is weird, but God really wants to use it to advance his kingdom. He knows all about it. Moses questions his identity, he questions his ability, and he questions his authority. 
this is the one that really got me as I was studying this verse, excuse me, this, this sermon. The last one is he questions God's proximity. He questions God's proximity. He asks him, what's in your hand? As I was studying this, this sermon and studying this section of scripture, a lot of theologians said that the staff represented God was with him. The whole time he had this staff, he had that staff when he flew, fleed because he, he became a shepherd and he started hanging out with, with Jethro and his daughter. He was a shepherd. He had the staff the whole time. God never left him. God never left you when you committed that sin. God never left you when that thing happened to you. He's been with you in proximity the whole time. Shame will cause you to think that God has left you and he hasn't. The Bible says that he'll be with us wherever we go. It's not a lie. What the devil wants us to think is that it is a lie, but it's not. It's not. God is with you. He's closer than you realize. Moses had a staff that represented God, God's, uh, his proximity to him. He forgot that. What's, it, what's in my, what, what am I going to use? What, what's in your hand? I'm here. I'm with you. You're not going to go alone into what I've called you to, uh, to step into. I'm with you in it. You're not going by yourself, but shame will cause you to think that you're alone and by yourself and you don't have authority and your ability is terrible and your identity is you don't know who you are. This is what shame does when we're under the attack. We'll question all these things. And most importantly, we'll question God's, God's position in our life. What happened to Moses happens to everyone in this room. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's happened to your uncle, your auntie. It's happened to everybody in this room. Your grandma that says she knew the Lord since she was 66 and she's 95 or since she was 14, it happened to her too. I'm, I'm telling you this so that you can know this isn't a unique situation just to you. The devil has been around since the beginning of time. He uses the same tactics on everybody. These tactics aren't new. He's been around since, uh, since God created him. But what did I just say? God created him. Oh, okay. Just making sure y'all heard what I said. Because I want you to walk this out in your life so you can remember, so you can remember that God is with you and he's already taken care of this thing. In Colossians 2.15, the Bible says that Jesus has disarmed Jesus has disarmed the principalities of the spiritual world. They're disarmed. They can scare us. They can have these tactics, which shame is one of those tactics. The thing is, are we going to walk in that? Are we going to fall for that? Are we going to try to think, or excuse me, are we going to allow shame to get us to think that we have an identity crisis, that we've lost our authority through God, that we've lost our ability, or we're not good enough for that, that um, our proximity to God has been gone. This is what shame does. My question for you today is, are you under an attack of shame? Have you been sitting in shame for the last 10 years, five years, three months, 10 years? God asked you to do something four years ago, but you haven't made a move because you don't think God can use you because of what happened to you or who you are. 
We break free of that today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we break free of that today. The kingdom's going to get built one way or the other. I want God to use us to help him do it. The kingdom's going to get built. I want God to help us. Excuse me, I want us to help God to build that thing. We got to get out of this attack of shame. All of us in this room have experienced shame at one point or, or, or another in our lives. When we experience those four things that we saw, we saw Moses experienced, when we see those things, that's when we know the devil is really, really trying to keep us from what God's called us to do. When we're experiencing that emotion that we've let ourselves down, we've let God down, we've let others down, that's when we know that God really has something special in our life, but the devil really doesn't want us to get to it. When Moses goes to that burning bush experience, all these thoughts are going through his head. He's hoping, the devil is hoping that Moses walks away. He's hoping that he, that he, that he doesn't have much to say and he just kind of cuts him off like, I'm good, Lord, and walks away. Don't be that person that walks away from God. Don't be that person that walks away from God because you feel like the dream that he's given you, the vision he's given you is too big for you. Can I give you a newsflash? That's how you know it's God when it's too big, when the vision is great, when it's a huge thing that you know you can't do in your own power. That's when you know that is from God. Because you know there's no way that I could do this. There's no way that I could carry this out. For me, I know that there's no way that I could speak publicly without the anointing of the Lord without God going with me every single time I step on a stage or step in front of people. I know I can't do it in my own power. I know I can't. We're all experiencing this. We're all going through these things. If, if I was, if Moses was my homie, if he was my boy, y'all are all my family. So this is what I'm going to tell y'all. Moses is gone. He's in heaven. But y'all are here. This is the reminders I want to give you if you're under the attack of shame. The first thing that I want to remind you of is Psalm 139.14. And I think a lot of people in this room need to hear this right now. You're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your creator didn't make a mistake with you. Your creator did not make a mistake with you. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was going to ask of you. And he's depending on you to take that step to trust him. The second thing I will remind you of is that you're enough. You. You're enough. You don't believe me? Just watch. Romans 8.37, it says this. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You're enough because of him. You're enough because of him. The third thing that I would want to remind you of is, is Romans 8.15. You're loved. You're not unlovable. Because of the thing that someone did to you, you're, don't let the devil convince you that you're unlovable because you are loved. You're so loved. We just got out of a series, John 3, 16. God so loved the He so loves you. And, and sometimes we just need these small little practical reminders daily. Like th these are things that I'm hoping you just write these down on your little post-it note and put them on your mirror or whatever you want to do with them. You're not a mistake. I'm not a mistake. I'm loved. 
these small things that we just can put around our house to remind us because the devil is always trying to tear us down and keep us from what God's called us to be. And sometimes we just need to get practical and simple and just put some scripture on some post-it notes and put it in our car and put it in our, our bathroom and put it in our kitchen so that when we're walking through and we remember, oh, I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus. Just small little reminders. Small little reminders. Romans 8.15 says, so the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. You adopt someone you love. We're in God's family. We are loved. You're loved. The devil's going to try to get you to think that your story The devil's going to try to get you to think that your story is over through using shame. He's going to try to get you to think that God can't use you because of the shame that you've encountered. He does not want you to walk in your purpose. He wants you to get irritated. He wants you to get mad at people. He wants you to walk away from God. He wants you to carry this shame for 40 years just like Moses did. Remember that when Moses, every time Moses has something smart to say to God, God has something smarter back to say. Every time you question God, he's got an answer for it. Remember that when you're walking out your purpose, when you're walking out your call. See, for us, when, at the beginning, when I told you about the story of me stealing my, cousin, my big cousin's card, I stole his card and I experienced guilt. See, when I experienced that guilt, what I could have just did when my mom had said that I stole the card, I'm like, yeah, I stole the card. Sorry. And mailed it back. But what I did is I went upstairs, tried to cover the lie, tried to do these things to, to, keep, um, to keep my mom and my aunt and my cousin from finding out what I did. And when I did that, when I went outside of the guilt, because I felt guilt, but then I entered this shame when I was like, oh, I'm a thief, so I'm just going to keep hiding I'm going to keep hiding it. I'm going to keep doing this. And what, 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 what I told myself was that I was a thief and I was, a, and I was, not, I was not good. You're good. You're not what you did. I'm not what I did. You're not what you did. You're not a thief. What the devil wants to do is he wants you to think that shame is the period in your story. He wants you to think that shame is the period and your story is done. And that's not true. Teach the shame is the period that the devil wants you to think. And guilt can be a comma. The guilt is the comma where like, I, I did this, comma, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to go to those that are around me. Pastor Kevin talked about getting the people around you that you can talk to when these things happen. Guilt's the comma, shame's the period. Guilt, comma, shame, period. Let me show you something. Moses' story wasn't over. It wasn't over. He goes on. He, 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 he frees the, God's people. He gets them out. Everything's going great. He gets to this moment where... The Ten Commandments, we all know the Ten Commandments. Some of, us have seen, some of us have seen the movie. I haven't actually seen the movie. But we get to this point where God pins the Ten Commandments. He uses Moses to pin the Ten Commandments. 
I'm going to let you in on something. The sixth commandment, the sixth commandment says thou shalt not murder. Interesting. God used a murderer to write, you must not murder. Hmm. Your story's not over. Your story's not over. This tells me that no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, no matter what has happened to you, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace covers it. God's grace is overwhelming. The devil wants you to forget how good God is and how his grace covers everything that has happened to you, covers everything that you've done. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. You are not what you did. You are not what happened to you. I'm here today to declare that this isn't the end of your story. I'm here today to declare and remind you that the guy that has the pen, the guy that has the pen, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he ain't finished with you yet. He ain't finished with you yet. He's the author. He's the creator. Don't let your story be a period. Don't let your story stop now. The kingdom's going to be built with or without you. I want it to be with you. God's the author. In a moment, I'm going to have the prayer team come down. This whole story about Moses is awesome. The Old Testament is where this, this story was, was from in Exodus. But the Old Testament, Exodus, and all the New Testament, it's all about one man. Everything in the Old Testament points to one man. Everything in the New Testament points to one man. His name is Jesus Christ. I can't get you out of the shame. Your mom can't get you out of the shame. Your uncle can't. Jesus can. He's reaching out his hand to you right now. Asking you to trust him. To walk in your purpose. To walk in your call. To walk in everything that he's called you to be. He is the source. He is the great vine. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the beginning. He is the end. Jesus is my everything. And today, if you're under the attack of shame, I want him to be your everything. Prayer team, if you feel comfortable, come down. If you feel comfortable all over this room, could you just stand to your feet with me as we worship? And prayer team, if you're in the facility, board members, whoever, come down to the front. The way we're going to end today is we're going to worship the Lord. 
We're going to worship the Lord in heart and soul. If you're in the room and you say, Pastor Alex, I've been under the attack of shame for some years. I've been running away from Jesus. I've been running away from what God has asked of me and called me to do. There's grace for you today. There's grace for you today. I don't. I extend the grace, but the, the one that you get grace from that really matters is Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and, and you want to take the step to, to come to Jesus and bring your shame to Jesus and bring your shame to the altar, if you just need prayer today, we're in this room. Get a couple more board members or somebody to come down for prayer just to be down here. We're going to sing this song called Nothing Else. As we sing this song, I want you to understand that there's nothing else in this world that you need more than Jesus Christ. He is the author of your story. He's not finished with you yet. If you're in the room today, if you're in the room today, if you could just do me a favor, as Tasia starts to sing, as the team starts to sing, could you just all, can we just all lift our hands? Can we just lift our hands? Can we lift our hands and we just sing nothing else and truly mean it from the bottom of our heart? If you're with your spouse, hold your spouse's hand. If you're with somebody, hold their hand. If you see someone by themselves, go and worship with them. As we worship, this altar is open. As we worship, this altar is open. God is here. God is for you. Let's worship together. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.